Welcome to the Possibility Podcast. I'm Mel Schwartz, your host and thought provocateur. I've been practicing psychotherapy for well over 20 years. During that time, I've been so fortunate to witness countless breakthroughs while working with people, whether one-on-one, as a speaker, in professional trainings, or in workshops. The insights that I've garnered have inspired me to write over a hundred articles and several books, including the companion title to this podcast, The Possibility Principle, which you can find wherever books are sold. On this and every episode, I'll be introducing new ways of thinking, relating, and communicating to help you truly thrive in your life, to reach the possibilities that you may long for. Think of this as a new game plan for living. Thanks for enjoying my emerging community of possibility seekers, and I hope you enjoy the show. As many of you know by now, I love the idea of possibilities. The idea of possibilities excites me. It provokes wonder and awe for me. You know, when I get to reflect on what I'd like to summon into my life, nothing could be better. What could be more inspirational than to ponder the possibilities that await you, that await me? My aspiration to make the possible achievable gives me great meaning and purpose, and I believe it can do the same for you. This passion around possibilities ultimately led me to choose my professional calling, psychotherapy. As a therapist, I've often looked deeply at what gets in our way of achieving the changes and the possibilities that we long for. What have I found? Part of what I've found is that oftentimes words get in our way. I've come to appreciate what little attention we pay to the words we use and the enormous impact that they have. Our words become the vessel through which our thoughts and feelings take shape. What begins as an instinctive impression or a visceral bubbling up of an idea or a notion ultimately takes form, takes life through words. And these words in turn shape how we see and engage life and others. The way that we believe reality works, how we feel about ourselves and others, our beliefs and our relationships, all take form through our words. These words become the foundation of our relationship with others. They either set the stage for other people to be open and curious about what we say or defensive and reactive to what they're going to hear. What we choose to express, to articulate through our words, writes the narrative of our life story. Our words matter very, very much. So let's begin our exploration. Through this process, I came to a stunning insight. I found that eight simple words that we use in virtually every sentence we speak and which occur in virtually all of our thoughts, these eight words imprison us as they keep us feeling stuck and disempowered. And furthermore, these eight words create havoc in our communication and relationships. So the eight words that I'm referring to are the to be verbs. These verbs are is, am, are, was, were, be, been, being. So why do I see a problem with these to be verbs? Well, 
Verbs ordinarily express movement and action, but the to-be verbs have one singular element in common. They all connote a fixed, inert, unchanging state. They picture reality as stuck. I've come to see that these to-be verbs block the possibilities that I was referring to. Think about them. Without exception, these verbs impede or preclude change. They all speak of a fixed reality, and fixed realities don't allow for change of possibilities. So, if words inform our thoughts and beliefs, and we use the to-be verbs in virtually every thought, how would we feel anything but stuck? Let's look at the commonly held belief it's hard to change. Right now, reflect on whether you believe it's hard to change. Most people do. But change would appear challenging and hard when our thoughts become cemented in the to be verbs. Now, let's go back to this sentence, this statement, it's hard to change. Take a moment and try to make this statement without using to be verbs. It may be difficult. Do you find this challenging? I recently gave a talk on this, a TEDx talk, which will be published shortly. And when I asked the audience to do this, they really got stymied. Well, it might sound like this. I struggle to change, or it feels hard for me to make change. Even I've never succeeded in making change. Do you see the difference? Do you feel it? These statements don't look like objective statements set in stone. They speak about our own experiences, and yet they present as amenable to change. That's quite a difference. The doorway to change can only occur when you shift from making absolute statements of fact to perceptive, experiential, subjective statements around our beliefs and our experiences. The two B verbs can keep us stuck in victimhood as they impact our low self-esteem. Of course, not all of us have low self-esteem, but there may be particular areas of our lives where we struggle with self-esteem. Our negative feelings and thoughts about ourselves can become inveterate and hardened due to the use of to-be verbs. I can recall working with a middle-aged woman who constantly insisted that she was stupid. Notice the word was. Or she'd say, I am stupid. I asked her, how did you come to this belief? Notice I treated her statement of fact as a belief, not the truth. She shared with me that her dad often said that to her when she was a kid, he'd call her stupid. And she said she didn't do well in school, so she always felt stupid. I explored this with her and said, you know, how do you think you might feel about yourself if your dad never said you were stupid? And his saying so might have impacted your grades. Is it possible that you're not stupid, but you've always felt that way? Let's look at the statement, Joe is lazy. That represents a fixed objective statement of fact. Maybe Joe appears lazy when he feels uninspired or bored or distracted. Or maybe Joe overeats, which makes him fatigued, so he appears lazy. If we extract the word is, we might say, Joe seems lazy today, which provides context. Or I always see Joe as lazy, which accounts for my subjective thought about Joe. Joe is lazy, doesn't sound relative or conditional. Could Joe appear lazy now, but highly motivated at a different time in life? If Joe finds his passion next year, will he still be lazy? 
the word is and all the to be verbs preclude change and suggest a state of permanence, a permanence that actually exists. No wonder we struggle with change. Let's look further at how these verbs preclude the change process. Tom's friend might say, my friend Tom is an addict. If we remove the word is and say, Tom struggles with addiction, we don't fall prey to making absolute unchanging statements. In the parlance of Alcoholics Anonymous, one says, I am an alcoholic. Now, AA arguably does the greatest job at keeping us sober. But there are consequences to these fixed statements. You see, this attitude, although it helps people maintain sobriety, severely limits their personal and spiritual growth since they always have to see themselves as an alcoholic. You know, 10 years from now, Tom could proclaim, I suffered with alcoholism for many years, but I no longer do. That statement allows Tom to evolve coming out of victimhood. Because to be verbs deny change, they block us from growth, from defining moments. They cement our realities and they block our ability to see our participation in the flowing nature of reality that I have described so often. These to be verbs block us from seeing life as flowing and unfolding. They blind us to movement as they root us to concrete notions about ourselves. Heraclitus, the famed Greek philosopher, said, you could not step into the same river twice. He believed in inexorable change. The river is always changing. Years ago, I found myself often saying the only constant in the universe is change. I now appreciate two errors in that phrase. My use of the word is, is inconsistent with my current belief. And furthermore, I came to appreciate that the word change has no meaning. It doesn't exist without the absence of change. But as we're seeing from the quantum worldview, everything flows. Our use of the word is stops flow in its tracks. Nothing simply is. I recall a singular moment in the workshop I was conducting around two B verbs. And the man in the group who had never spoken previously decided to contribute. He shared his core limiting belief about himself when he said, I am nothing, I am empty. The people in the group were stunned by his vulnerable candor. And there were a few moments of silence. I waited and then asked him to make the same statement without using the to be verb, without using the word am. He thought about it and ultimately said, I feel like nothing. I feel empty. As he spoke, his face lightened because he realized his situation could change. Let's try this exercise. Reflect on some limiting belief you have about yourself. In the previous episode on wave collapses, how we lost our potential, I explained this notion of wave collapse, how we developed our core limiting, confining beliefs about yourself. So give it a moment and think about a core limiting belief you have about yourself. Now, notice, surely, there's a to-be verb in that statement. So it's fixed, objective, unchanging. Now try to restate that limiting belief without using a to-be verb. Write down your core belief 
And now write down how you can restate that belief as a belief, not as a fact or a truth. The two B verbs anchor us in feeling inert, powerless, and as victims. Although there exist discernible objective truths that we might all agree upon and should, particularly in this era of fake news, when we communicate personal feelings and perceptions as objective truths, we commit cardinal mistakes. I'm going to pause and provide some historical context around this idea of removing the two B verbs. I can't take credit for having originated this idea. First came to my attention a number of years ago as I was reading a book called Science and Sanity by Alfred Korzybski, written in 1933. He first proposed removing the two B verbs, and he called this E prime language. E prime means no two B verbs. So, what prompted this idea? At the time he wrote this book, the radical discoveries of quantum physics turned our notions of reality upside down. We came to see, to understand, that reality appeared radically different than what the 17th century thinker Isaac Newton had described. I know I've referred to this many times, but we'll go back into it again. Newton described reality as a giant machine, a machine-like universe known as mechanism, and this machine was comprised of separate and disconnected parts. Well, from this vantage point, change would require an outside force to happen. Separate parts don't move by themselves. And those separate parts, the cogs in the machine, became how we saw ourselves. But quantum physics was revealing that reality no longer seemed fixed and inert as Newton imagined. Think to be verbs here as fixed and inert. Everything flows, so change looks like the very essence of reality. Secondly, Newton's picture of reality again had us see ourselves as cogs in the machine, separate, which set up a filter or a belief in separation. This belief in separation led to the concept of objectivity. After all, to be objective, you have to be separate and apart from what you're observing. Again, Stunningly, quantum physics reveals that reality begins to appear as essentially inseparable, one undivided, inseparable, seamless whole, nothing separate from anything else. Counterintuitive as this may seem to rational thought, it confirmed this hard science quantum physics was confirming the principles of Eastern philosophy and spirituality. So, if nothing appears separate from anything else, then the idea of objectivity falls apart. The two B verbs, which speak of unchanging, inert, and objective truths, have been imprisoning us and keeping us stuck in a 17th century worldview that feels dehumanizing and disconnected, causing us to lose our sense of humanity with a whole host of negative consequences. One more thing about the science. Quantum physics describes reality as thoroughly unpredictable and uncertain. Now, although most of us seek certainty and some of us become addicted to it, this has grave consequences, as I have shared many times, because addiction to certainty, which we can never achieve, 
results in fear, stress, and anxiety. But as I pointed out in my book, The Possibility Principle, when we embrace uncertainty, everything becomes possible. Uncertainty is the pathway to possibility. Yet certainty forecloses on possibility. The two be verbs speak of certainty. A number of years ago, I was called to serve as a juror. I recollect that sitting on the witness stand, the moment in which the prosecutor played right into my hands by asking me if I could be objective. I provided a brief recitation about why I couldn't, didn't believe anyone could, and that objectivity doesn't exist. And if it did, it wouldn't be a good thing. The judge leaned over and looked at me curiously. And he said, may I ask you a question? I said, certainly, judge. He said, what question should we be asking you? I said, judge, do you have beliefs? He smiled and said, well, of course I have beliefs. I said, well, judge, a belief, it's a way of looking at something. It's a bias. We're humans. We operate from bias. What you might ask us is, can we be in touch with our bias and nevertheless feel that we can do a good job as a juror? The judge said, you're dismissed, and I'd love a copy of this new book you've written. During my years as a therapist, I've come to see remarkable progress many people have made by limiting the to-be verbs, particularly in challenging moments. Some people are burdened by fear of making a mistake or finding their voice or speaking up. When we speak in E-prime, it enables us to move beyond those fears. When you communicate from your subjective perception, you avoid the pitfall of right versus wrong. When you begin a sentence by saying, I think or I feel, you're not making objective statements of fact, and you're inviting the other person into your experience. This helps avoid arguments. Free from the dread of making a mistake or worrying about what others think of you, welcomes you to open up and share your thoughts and perspectives. You can find your voice and release your fears about what others think when you speak in E-prime. When you share perspective, feelings, you're no longer at risk of being told you're wrong. Perhaps the greatest harm done to us through using to-be verbs comes in our relationships. I have seen uphand, very close, how relationships become challenged and deteriorate when we share personal feelings as objective truths. This piece is very, very important, folks. Personal feelings should be shared as feelings, not as facts. How do you feel when someone says to you, you're wrong? Where do your thoughts go? Do you remain open and present? Nothing derails a conversation as quickly as you're wrong. Shift into E prime and you can say, I don't see this the way you do. Or help me understand the point you're making. This can open the door to reasonable communication. I recall a particular moment in a couple session I facilitated when the woman with whom I was working said to her husband, you're so selfish. You are so selfish. She made an objective statement. I could feel the air thicken as her husband prepared his defense and probably his assault on her, verbally speaking, of course. I asked for a timeout and I prepped her to share her feelings in E prime. 
Her subjective offering sounded like, you seem so self-centered to me. This allowed her husband to inquire, to ask why she saw him that way. He didn't see himself that way. A reasonable, purposeful dialogue ensued. Rather than arguing about the truth of whether he is or isn't selfish, as though there were a judge present to render a verdict, they could now move more deeply into the matter of how she felt. He said he loved her, but to act lovingly, shouldn't he care how she feels? We all want to be loved and understood. Therefore, we need to speak through the vehicle of how we feel. What makes more sense? To develop empathy and compassion or argue about the truth? So ultimately, the important question to ask might sound like, do you care how I feel? E-Prime allows us to invite others into our experience, and it allows for and fosters emotional intimacy, which we could all benefit from some more of. Relationships can recover and can thrive when we communicate in this way. When you feel particularly challenged or you're anticipating a negative reaction to what you're thinking about saying, try using E-Prime. Open your sentence with the words, I feel, I think. There's a thought coming up for me. I'd like to share a feeling with you. You don't need to be fanatical about this. I no doubt have used to be verbs quite a few times already in this podcast. It may feel awkward at first, but invite in the uncertainty. Once again, the theme of quantum physics is to embrace uncertainty which requires removing to-be verbs to advance into new territory. E-prime, removing to-be verbs, opens the doorway to possibilities, and it shifts us from a stuck state of being into a process of becoming, from victim of our beliefs and experiences to the author of our life experience. Think of it this way. We can then become human becomings no longer stuck as human beings, but joining in that perpetual flow of the universe that quantum physics described. And I have invited in so often in requesting that you think about this shift and join in the flow of the universe. There'll be more to come on this. And in the meantime, be well. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Possibility Podcast with me, Mel Schwartz. To learn more about this topic and related subjects, please be sure to check out The Possibility Principle, my book at thepossibilityprinciple.com. I always welcome and look forward to your feedback. Please leave a comment at the show notes for this episode at melschwartz.com slash podcast, or simply send me an email at mel at melschwartz.com. You can also use that email address if you'd like to be a caller on a future show and have a topic you'd like me to discuss. If you never want to miss an episode, find The Possibility Principle in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And be sure to hit that subscribe button. You'll get new episodes as soon as they are released. And if you know anyone who might benefit from The Possibility Podcast, please tell them about the show. Thank you for listening. And until next time, have a great day and keep summoning up those new possibilities. Thank you.